Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Maz Social Mastery Podcast. I'm joined in the Strive Stronger podcasting studio with Angela Poon, and we're doing another episode of our Social Mastery Podcast. Today's guest is Stacey Hall. Stacey has spent the past 20 years in the Commonwealth public sector in a number of senior executive service roles, most recently acting as Deputy Secretary for the Department of Finance. Stacey, during her career, has led major government policy reform and infrastructure investment programs. This makes me tired just going through this list of achievements. She's been involved with commercial transactions to support Australian government economic and defence policy. Prior to joining the Commonwealth Public Service, Stacey worked in the New South Wales energy sector in a variety of roles encompassing finance, human resources, corporate services and organisational development. She also spent 12 years in the chartered accounting profession, primarily with Coopers and Librand. Stacey is a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountants in Australia and a graduate member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. She shares a love of cycling, Ooh, we are going to talk about that, with her husband James and this comes a close second to the love for their two children. Stacey Hall, welcome to the Social Mastery Podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Hi, Angela. How are you today? Um, well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us into, in our podcast today, Stacey. We're looking forward to it because you are an international woman of mystery. What is it about senior public service figures? And when we click on the interweb, there's not a lot about you. Angela and I today are really looking forward to teasing out more about your history, how you've got to where you are, and even some personal information on you as well. Oh, well, let's get into it, Andrew. Have you been told that before when you're doing interviews where people say, I don't know much about you? I haven't done many interviews um, and I think it's probably you know, a um, career survival strategy for senior public servants to have a very small digital footprint. Yeah, it's interesting as a podcast and doing some of the work we do, we amplify digital footprint to try and get traction. Interesting with different careers, sometimes you actually bring that down. That brings me to my first question. I like asking our senior leaders this, how did you get into the public service? So you started in accounting and then you ended up in public service in Canberra. Talk to me about that journey. Well, I started my career you know, in the chartered accounting profession, made my way up through the ranks and sort of got to that decision point where you decide whether you want to be a partner and sort of commit to that system for life and um, I wasn't really interested in burning through graduates so I could turn over my BMW. Uh, So I took a step out uh, into industry uh, and that led me to Canberra and an opportunity came up at the Department of Finance and I thought well if I'm going to join the APS, finance is probably a logical stepping in point and the rest is history. Joined it, loved it. I was very impressed by the calibre and character of the APS colleagues that I was working with. And you get to work on some of the most interesting things that influence the lives of Australia from all different spots in the public service. And so, you know, there hasn't been a day that's gone by where I haven't been really motivated and had the opportunity to work with great people and do really interesting stuff. I saw Angela's eyebrows peak when you said burning through graduates to buy the BMW. Now, we both come from a consulting firm, one of the big four. Oh, everyone knows we're KPMG. <laughs> Why am I trying to be all discreet about that? Well, we're not I'm sorry about being judgmental. Like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying to any of my ex-colleagues that are listening, it's it's that's not how I view everybody. But I do get where you're coming from, Stacey. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you can get stuck on that treadmill and you see, not just in consulting, you see it in defence roles, you can see it in APS roles. The, the male or the female that is just defined by their career and they finish and they might go, hey, I've had 20, 30, 40 years here. But then when you move everything out, 
people at home don't care. Other people don't care. So it's not just being defined by your role identity. I'm curious, as a young woman, what guided you in that? Because a lot of people coming through counting, coming through military, coming through government, they look at the leaders and go, I want to be like her. I want to burn through graduates. I want the BMW. I'm sounding like a precocious child. <laughs> I want to. What shaped you in not wanting to do that? I suppose it just didn't fit with my values. As leaders or you know, as professionals, you you find yourself in different contexts that uh, either are comfortable or are or are challenging. In any professional context, you know there is a there is a role that you play to a degree, uh, and the extent to which you can do that effectively and be authentic in kind of taking on that role or taking up that role and doing it well is improved where where what's required of you in that context aligns with your personal values. So it just, you know, followed my own internal compass, really. You, you would know, I'm sure, as you've um, walked the path through your career that at different points in time, doors open uh, and you either s- step through or you don't. Um, you, you pull them closed. When you step through, they get slammed in your face. And it's doing the work, isn't it? We talk about this with mental skills. You do the reps and sets, and you do that when no one's watching, Stacey. It's, it's hard work, but then when the door opens, you've, you run through it. Now, I can't help but think, as you reflect and talking to you, you've had some good role modelling. Because if I look back on my career, and Ange, we've had this chat, look back on your career, there have been some pivotal moments if we look for you, was there a role model at school? Was it university? Was it in the early parts of your career? Who, who do you look back at and go, that man, that woman really influenced me in a positive way? I have to start with my parents. My mum, I was really fortunate that my mum was also for a time a professional colleague of mine and so that was it was really great to have her as a role model mum um, was in the accounting profession and I got to to work at the same firm as her for um, several years so that was really special my dad uh, and his work ethic my dad was actually in the RAF not many people know that about me uh, when I was young so you know all of the the values that um, are instilled in our military people dad embraced those uh, and that was certainly a lot of you know a big influence on me as a child you know as you go through school there are those wonderful teachers who really stick in your mind my fourth grade and and fifth grade PE teacher was fabulous uh, introduced me to I come from sort of regional New South Wales or southern New South Wales down in Albury and so very much AFL country that teacher opened our eyes to the world of rugby, uh, which was quite a foreign concept that far down south in New South Wales. Rugby league or rugby union? League, yeah. Okay. Back in Do the you days. want to call the teacher's name out? Because I love, I, I always call out Mr. Larkin. I still call him Mr. Larkin. He's a principal now in Tamworth. And I saw him recently. He said, you know, you can call me Mick. I said, no, you're forever Mr. Larkin, the guy that inspired me to learn and to, to, to double down and not just be a jock. Yeah, no, um, this is Mr. Waters, and he was a mad Manly Sea Eagles uh, supporter and from the Northern Beaches, a bit of a surfy kind of guy, uh, so not someone that you would come across teaching in regional New South Wales um, back in the day, but a really passionate, committed teacher. He believed in me. I think he just sort of encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. And yeah, it was just that that sort of that faith and support and belief similar to my parents. There wasn't It wasn't the fact that I was a a young girl going through school in the 70s and 80s, uh, anything was possible. Um, there was there was no sense of limits. 
you looked up and smiled when you reflected about your mum and dad and about Mr. Waters. And I'm from The Rock. So my oh, mum's from The really? Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. I've got cousins in Albury. So my uh, mum was born The Rock. I was born at Wagga Base Hospital, spent my first two years in Wagga. My cousin Nick works for the local Albury Council. And I've spent a lot of time in Albury and that whole area. Oh, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah. And also Mr. Waters chose the best team. I've just started as the mental skills coach with Manly Sea Eagles. So I, I, I loved hearing that he was a Manly Sea Eagles supporter. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> Stacey, you've got such a, like, that's wonderful story about your mum that you worked with. I can't imagine what that's like to be working with your mum. What are some of the things that she taught you? She taught me that patience is a virtue. She used to say, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, seldom found in women and never in a man, which was <laughs> handy. <laughs> I, had to, I had to think about that a little bit and then I, I got it. I, <laughs> I, I felt like Homer Simpson in the Witness Protection Program where they call him Mr. Thompson. And hey, Mr. Thompson, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, sort of very very much navigating the, um, you know, the, pro- the professional environment, white collar environment that was uh, the accounting profession back in the day, which was pretty male dominated, how to you know, navigate that effectively and successfully as a capable female in the field was certainly something that I learned from her. Also, what else did she te- teach me in the workplace? The girl code. Uh, always girl code <laughs> oh surely you know the girl code oh, my mum wasn't I didn't get to work with my mum so <laughs> um, I, I'm curious as to Angela's what this mum girl code Angela's mum mortified that she left the confines uh, Angela's mum comes from China Vietnam well she came from yes yeah, she came from Vietnam um, into Australia as a refugee and she worked as a waitress slash teacher's aide before owning her own business, um, running a children's wear shop. So very different in terms of her career trajectory versus mine. So I am curious as to what your mum taught you in terms of what a girl code is, having both worked in that white collar profession. I've I've learned many things from my mum, but more about business savviness, um, which has been really useful. Isn't your mum still asking you, why did you leave KPMG? Oh, yeah, sometimes. What, what did you do with that boy? <laughs> it's more my dad, actually. He, he often asks me, do you have a client? Do, do, does, does Andrew pay you? <laughs> but back to you, Stacey, what, what is this girl code? Always lending someone a hair tie or telling them if they've got lipstick on their teeth or telling them if their petticoat is showing or, you know, those... Women supporting those women, of course. Women supporting women have got, got you it. back. Yeah. I think I've been hanging around with this guy too long. That's what it is. That's why. <laughs> but no, it totally makes sense. And do you have any daughters or... or are you I have a daughter and a son. Ah. My daughter's 18 um, and Lucy, she's 18 and Ben, my son, is 14. So... Yeah, it's nice. And I have a dog as well and four cats. Four cats? Four cats. Used to have five. One of them decided that she was rehoming herself and adopting other parents. So she she's moved over the back fence. Oh, so you know the, you know the parents? Yeah, 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 yeah. She was just like, what, you're kidding me? Another cat. No way. <laughs> and a dog? Oh, my God, I'm out of here. No, sorry. People, you're dead to me. I'm gone. <laughs> So the cat just packed up. Well, yep. cats don't have many possessions, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and made home in your neighbour's house and hasn't come back. That's right. Yeah. Does she come just, for a visit? 
occasionally not very often we more sort of see her when we're out walking the dog Um, she's much more content because she just is master of her own domain i really want to get into the psychology of that cat like (laughs) sitting there licking its little paws looking at the other cat saying stuff you you know i've got the owners and the kids and you have to share sucked in yeah, I've got two cats myself, so I totally love I love cats. I love how they have their own personalities and they will come to you if they want to and they definitely have their own agenda, which your cat certainly showed um, their preference. I'm going to ask you a question that wasn't on script and this might be edited out depending on the way you respond and the way you look at me. I don't think we've ever asked this on the podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm intrigued. Stacey Hall, what have cats taught you about leadership? <laughs> Cats, what have cats taught me about leadership? Cats have taught me to honour my own truth and to chart my own path and that leadership is not a popularity contest. This is why it's actually I love quite doing powerful. Podcasts. That's actually really. Yeah. I think you should. It's almost. It's almost like a uh, a short for a book. <laughs> How do the leadership lessons from the cat world? <laughs> That's a good title. Oh, wait a minute. I'm just gonna working title for my memoir. <laughs> <laughs> just making a note. <laughs> just just you know commissions ten percent. All good my way. Yeah. When when, when you. <laughs> When you've sold the TV rights on this, you've got a, a multi-million dollar movie and everyone goes, who is this Stacey Hall? We'll, we'll play this back and go, hey, we want the royalty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm not an international woman of mystery. I'm a crazy cat lady. I love it. I love crazy cat people. They're my kind of people. You bring a lot of uh, energy in, into your role and into, into your um, what you do, as you can tell from the podcast today. How do you balance the work and uh, your big life outside of that with the four cats, a dog and two children and a husband? Mm, Not as well as I'd like. It all comes down to boundaries and being really deliberate and what you're choosing to invest your time in. I've got better at that over the course of my career uh, and I've had to get better at that because, you know, as you progress and move through further uh, up the chain to more demanding roles, the more you get pulled in a million different directions. Sort of there's also been a tension for me in kind of wanting to be a role model for senior leaders and female leaders uh, just in terms of being able to demonstrate and live like effective work-life balance and encourage young women in the workplace particularly not to select out of you know senior opportunities because you know they feel that they can't manage it or balance it I've very much sort of tried to to live that uh, to provide a model um, to give them ideas so they can ask for what they want and you know point to uh, effective examples Supporting women and the girl code, that seems to be a common theme um, that's coming out of this podcast. Stacey, if you were to look back at your young self um, as you were in school, what advice would you give to yourself? I'd tell myself to learn how to say no more often or to ask myself, why am I saying yes to this? That's such a common thing um, with uh, females in the workforce. It's something that when we speak to, when I do one-on-one coaching with some of the uh, female clients that we do have, saying no, it's something that we just learn how to do. It's not something that we naturally do because you're taught to 
be nice and to service others. And it actually takes a lot of inner work and a lot of um, courage to look at it and go, actually, it's it's okay to say no. So um, that's some great strong messages. And your daughter is very lucky for, to have you as a role model to become a strong a leader. I'm going to throw a little bit of diversity into here, ladies. <laughs> and potentially, You're feeling outnumbered? Oh, yeah, sorry. It's like all ganged up on and potentially a little bit of controversy. I don't think it's just young women. No, it isn't. I, I think there's a lot of young men now who are confused. And when I talk to a number of the athletes I work with, Stacey and Ange, they'll tell me, I, I don't know what to do when I go on a date. Like, do I pay? Do I pull the chair out? Uh, do I pick up my date in the car? Do I pay for the Uber? So I think there is as much confusion with the younger generation around this. Uh, I look at my son, Archie, who is the teacher and I'm the student, Stacey, in so many ways. But Archie said to me recently, this is at the dinner table or sitting around at night having a chat, Dad, do you realise that when Nans, that's my mother, the grandmother, you know, Nans, when, when Nans was a girl that she only had two choices with her career. It was either to be a nurse or to be a PA or working in admin. He said, isn't that unfair? And, and, and did you know that women still aren't paid as much as men for the same roles? So he's 11 now. This was last year. And you know, you've got a soft spot for Arch Ange. But a lot of his mates, girls and boys, it's not, oh, that's my girlfriend or boyfriend. They're just friends now. I'm really proud of the education the kids are getting now to challenge that stereotype. And for young men listening to this on the program, if you're sitting there going, hey, what about me? I see this a lot with young women and young men. And I think the, the commonality on both is an understanding of who you are. Mr. Waters and your parents helped you have a clear understanding of you and who you were as a person, and, and they backed you. And when someone backs you, Angie, your parents did this and they backed you and you got a great education. And even when you said, I'm leaving KPMG, albeit they thought, why? They backed you. Absolutely. So for anyone listening to this going, hey, that's me, male or female, I really encourage you to, to question, you know, who are you? We're getting quite deep. Uh, role identity outside your career. Because if you just see yourself as a worker in APS or a worker in Navy, when that changes, and also if it's a voluntary change, your self-esteem often goes with it. I'm going to get very Freudian, but I'd, I'd ask people to really think about you know, what, like Stacey's been saying, the impact that others have had on you largely links to the shadow you leave on others. So have you got the role models and then do a bit of work on that? You've got to do a little bit of work around clarity on who am I as a person? You know, what do I stand for? What don't I stand for? I just got really deep on you, ladies. I'm going to draw a breath. No, that's a really good point there, Andrew, in terms of um, being that and Stacey, you, you spoke about being that. I really liked how you talked about finding your authenticity and, and being understanding what your priorities are and finding that compass. I would love to know, you've participated in the Social Mastery Program and a lot of what we teach is about you know boundaries and looking after yourself and, and putting yourself first in order to then show up and be present um, in your role. What have you gotten out of the program or what has the program reminded you to do more of? Oh, look, I think the program's been a really great opportunity to just refresh and pause, uh, you know, and sort of revisit some of those concepts that are really important to overall well-being, but that you sometimes just 
due to competing demands and the busyness and the pace of life perhaps gloss over or don't invest as much time in as as you should uh, for you know for the long term for your long-term well-being i've really enjoyed the breathwork dimension the ice bath was a particular highlight uh, as well Uh, but just you know just the opportunity to stop and go okay um, you know those those recovery and and physical kind of things um, you know how you nourish yourself uh, your your mindset your psychological well-being just having the time to reflect on that and and dabble back in or re-establish things that have perhaps slipped a bit by the wayside. I've got to ask did you do the home ice bath did you set everything up and do it at home? No, but I've been doing. I, I was I was jumping in the pool, which isn't quite the same because it's not as cold. It's still fresh. It's pretty fresh, uh, and and I'm a big fan of cold showers. Um, you know, the last thirty seconds of a shower oh, just that, go full on you, cold. Thank you, because in our wrap up in the celebration, I had people sledging me online going tried your cold shower it's just the worst thing I've ever done hate it so thank you Stacey for leading the charge on cold showers no it's fabulous I mean the science behind it is just compelling right that you've got all these receptors in your skin and you you get that sort of shock and it sends a whole bunch of stuff to your brain which you know cancels out negative feelings or anxiety or depression it does actually work and we've spoken about what cats taught you f- about leadership now i'm asking you about your shower protocol people are going to be thinking, <laughs> where is he going with this but do you shower wash hair and then go cold or do you just go cold straight away do you ease into it or do you just go bang no no i just shower normally with with regular temperature and then go cold for the last you know 30 seconds to two minutes depending on how bad i'm feeling about the amount of water i'm using there you go according to stacy hall that is the protocol to use both for aps and the navy to have your shower first and then go cold and then i find it addictive i've been doing cold water for a while I, I do that as well because it takes me a long time to wash my hair. So I'll do that mm. and just get this. I, I have uh, warm first and then I jump into the cold after. Uh, like turn on the cold and I breathe before I make the switch. But during winter, now for the past, I'm into the fourth year, I swim all year. And the only thing I wear in winter is a cap. Oh, and speedos but I, I don't wear a wetsuit and I do breathing before I hop into the water and it is fresh like you hop in and go huh, it's cold but then when you go god it's cold god it's cold god it's cold my feet and my toes get freezing and this is my monkey brain at work we all have one I think mine is more so than others Ange but I go cold water is your friend cold water is good for you and if I do some of the breathing the work you've done with Dino big shout out to Dino I, I actually love the water, and I've seen research on this as well, showing that people that do this, it does become quite addictive. It's the feeling, it's the buzz you get from it. So yeah, I do both. I jump into the cold when it's swimming, and then I ease into it on the shower. Yeah, you're you're a little bit crazy. I don't do the swimming during winter, no. But the yeah, I do the same in terms of warm shower first and cold shower at the end. Stacey, uh, you talked about like you, it reminds you of slowing down and recalibrating. We did an exercise or we spoke about reflections during our last huddle. What are your biggest reflections now that you've had a chance to slow down and recalibrate over the last year in terms of your well-being and what do you plan to do going forward in the new year now that the program is 
complete? I think I've sort of got through, I'm pretty happy with sort of three of the four kind of well-being planks that I've got in place and they're habitualized and institutionalized in my my routine. You know, the, the recovery stuff, you know, exercise and rest is something that I do and, you know, I regularly, you know, get a massage every so often and you know, eat properly and all of those those sorts of things. I think the area that I need to be a bit more deliberate about is the psychological dimensions. So well-being, uh, sorry, mindfulness, gratitude, and you know the way that I approach challenges. Um, I think that's probably an area for me to grow, or you know, do do a few sets and reps um, to use Andrew's terminology to strengthen that that aspect, you know, of my overall investment in well-being and build it into my automatically into my routine as well as the other dimensions are built in. You're a good student because it is exactly that. It's doing the reps and sets in a non-pressurized environment. So to train mental skills, that's what we talk about in, in all the programs we run and all the one-on-one work I do, you've got to look at building that in outside the business. So I think with your role, your mum, four cats, dog, husband, cyclist, and a very high role in the APS, Getting some of that time for reps and sets is important, and, and it's it's prioritizing that, and and then you can draw on those cognitive skills when you need them most. Now, this is leading me into the next question I wanted to talk to you about. If somebody asked me, if you could explain Stacy Hall in one word, what would it be? The word I would use is calm. You have a calming effect. I, I know how to train myself to be calm, but Ange, it's not my natural state. I'm a bit higher on it. Yeah. And you are so calm and you're deliberate and you have real clarity. And even interviewing you, while this is a podcast, we've got it on screen because you can see the body language and we can look at you in the eyes and you get a better connection. But I see you look up, I see you reflect and I see you think. How did you train that or is that natural? I think it's just natural. I think that's just me. Introvert, internally focused um, and very grounded. Uh, and uh, my instinct is to, my normal instinct is to reflect uh, rather than act. But you're not the first person that's uh, that's described me as calm. And I don't think I'll be the last. With your role, when you have a big talk, a big stage as an introvert, how do you get into that state? How do you shift from and then just to get the, the, the clarification, I'm assuming you're talking about where you get energy from on Jung's scale. So the introvert gets energy with solitude and, and being by yourself and reflecting. The extrovert will draw energy from others. You're nodding, so we're on the same page. You've got to do a big presentation and you've got a whole bunch of people there and you have you know, the, the peacocks who are the extroverts and the bright coloured clothes, bright lipstick, you know, big energy. If that's not you, how do you shift state? to match that audience? With a lot of structure, I think, you know, props and tools, preparation is always key. Hated public speaking and have just have had to learn how to do it. Of course, you have to learn how to do it in senior roles. Uh, so you, you know, you, you gradually accumulate a, you know, a, a set of supports and tools, figure out what works for you. And then, you know, that just becomes second nature once you do it enough. Practice, reps and sets, reps and sets. Is there a talk you think of? There's one I think of to give you some time to reflect where I bombed. I was 26. It was the first big talk I'd done at the Australian Fitness Industry Conference. I was dying to get on the card. I'd see these presenters there and I would go, oh, gosh, they, 
they are just so amazing. And then I got my opportunity. It was 90 minutes. And because I was so nervous, I didn't connect with the audience and I went deep on science. Half the audience left. I was mortified, Stacey. I don't think I've told Angie this. And at the end of that presentation, I thought one of two things. I'm never, ever, ever doing this again. It was totally shit. And I'm changing language. (laughs) Or... I'm never going to do that again and I'm going to go and get the skills and I chose the latter, but it was a seesaw moment. Have you had a moment like that where you've had a talk and it bombed or you felt terrible as an introvert or you just really questioned yourself? Yeah, I had a job interview for a promotion and the panel was people that I you know, knew and was familiar with, but I was so nervous that I actually just couldn't talk. Like I lost my voice. I just became mute. And it was excruciating for me. It was excruciating for the panel. Uh, And I just, yeah, at that point, I thought, oh, my God, I really need to think about why that happened and why I was so nervous. It was like it was an automatic response. I couldn't control it. Uh, You know, the fight or flight and the reptile brain kicked in and I froze and just couldn't speak. So I was sort of choking every word out. Unfortunately, Unfortunately for me, they took pity on me and I, I got the, the role, but it was like, what the hell happened there? And so I reflected, or like I learned then and I've learned through other experiences about techniques you can use to bypass that, you know, that dinosaur brain kicking in and, and a lot of it's very sensory. Give me some examples because you've, you've just explained this stress response beautifully. Uh, and, and going back to the reptilian brain, when we didn't live in beautiful buildings and you know, have Zoom hookups on podcast you would walk around the piranha the plane the terrain and you would either be hunting or you would be resting so you're in fight or flight Uh, you've added the the other one what happens now because we can't just run away it's freeze yeah so can you talk through some of those strategies well they're all uh, strangely but i didn't know this you know through the journey of of learning it was connected to mindfulness and your your rational brain can't bypass your reptilian brain so you know thinking positive thoughts and those sorts of things will only go so far but sensory things so to just tap in have positive sensory experiences everything from touching something that's you know that's soft and soothing like a you know a a soft blank blanket or something with a different type of texture people with anxiety have you know pillows that have got sequins on them and you can play with them fiddle toys and those kinds of things Um, music so sound we all know that sound and music and those you know, songs can be really evocative. They'll take you back to where you were when you first heard that song a million years ago and you'll feel those emotions. And if they're positive, that's good. If you hated the song, that's a whole different story. Um, Have you got a smell? positive song that takes you back? <laughs> oh, there's plenty. You know, I, 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 I'm a music lover. You know, music trivia is one of my very mild superpowers. So I like, I like lots of different types of music. Um, so smell, so, you know, aromatherapy or, you know, those cooking smells that, you know, take you back to your grandma's kitchen when you were eight years old and she's making apple pie. Oh, that, that elicits a response in me. I can remember Bonnie with this beautiful pastry apple pie and those Bartlow green apples. Oh. Yeah. And um, taste. So, you know, herbal tea or um, chocolate or something something some comfort type food I mean don't eat your way through your emotions that's not a good thing to do sight just sunshine or you know focusing on some butterflies or a beautiful flower something that will bypass your rational thought and and the 
unconscious, subconscious, negative, stressful feelings, a stress response to get you grounded, they're all really effective strategies. Stacey, you have a really high performance intelligence around this. You, you do. And the, this is not just telling you that because we work with a lot of high performers and you've just given us a multi-sensory approach using numerous faculties to help get you grounded. How did you learn that? And was it after the disaster? And, and, and well, actually, maybe it wasn't a disaster. I'm just thinking this could be a strategy. You know, if you go for another job interview, maybe just pull out that same strategy. Just freeze. And they might go, oh, she's lovely. I feel sorry for her. Let's give her the job. <laughs> How did I learn all this? I actually wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up. So just you know, a lot of interest in uh, all things physiological and psychological. Didn't quite get the marks, so you know, ended up doing commerce. Um, my mum also had um, severe mental illness her whole life, so she had bipolar disorder. Um, so I learned a lot about managing extremes of mental illness and lack of well-being. I just felt a buzz when you said that. I understand why you're so calm. I, I do. As, as a young age, you would have seen that with your mum and something would have kicked in for you just to, to try and stay stable. And you know, you've mentioned how you, you look at your mum as being such a wonderful role model. I really appreciate you sharing that and being so authentic. That must have been formative for you as a, as a young woman having that experience. Absolutely was. Uh, and, you know, and particularly for her in a professional environment uh, where there was such a stigma associated with mental health at the time. You know, she had, she didn't have the support. Uh, it wasn't something that was talked about. Uh, these techniques that we now know and use and embrace and encourage um, people to to apply if they're not feeling well. No, there was none of that there. And, and I'm so glad that we have normalised it. I'm so glad, Angie, we can have conversations like this because if we were talking to Stacey and she said, oh, I found out I was type 2 diabetic because my pancreas wasn't working and I had to take insulin. This is just a story. No one would question that. But in the past, if someone has said, oh, I've had bouts of depression or someone was bipolar, oh, what's wrong? But thank goodness we're, we're challenging that. There are, there are times in, in most people's lives and there are times in some people's lives where you don't get that connection, the brain is not working. And rather than saying what's wrong and going, oh, there's a problem, how can we support that? So I can see that this has really shaped you, shaped your calmness, shaped that curiosity. We're talking to a pseudo neuropsychologist here. Oh, come on, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you got great <laughs> awareness. Oh, thank you. Do you, you want to come and hang out with us? Come and you'd be a great coach. Whenever you need me. I'm, well, I'm a terrible boss, but... <laughs> yeah, Ange. It's all right. I'll shield you. Hey, you're meant to say no, you're oh, not. Oh, sorry. Jeez, Pony. I <laughs> know. Oh, I, I definitely learned something when you were going through all those different ways that people can center themselves and stay grounded. I think it's actually, a, I was just thinking that's a really good way to teach someone to remain calm. I actually think that um, you're going to help us change some of the way that we teach that concept of remaining calm and, and using our five senses. So I think you definitely do know more than you realize when it comes to um, high performance. She realizes she's just a very humble introvert. 
You can mm. smile now. <laughs> I will. Well, it's, it's the same principle as the cold shower, right? It's a sensory input that disrupts um, the other stuff that's going on. As you're saying that, Angela, I was reflecting as well, it is a great learning, Stacey, and it's tactile and it's very physical. You think in colours, in pictures or images, you would pick up imagery? Oh, no, not really. Not not in the you know traditional synesthesia kind of sense, no. I see different things like numbers. She's an accounting background. Of course she sees numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, calendars and things like, you know, the, the numbers 1 to 10 go, you know, along a line and then the numbers from 10 from 11 go up and then all the way to 30 and then it goes back the other way I don't know why why my brain arranges it you know when I think numbers I see them that way it's so curious the patterns people develop in that memory links and or memory palaces yeah you're probably very good at excel spreadsheets she's very good at rock trivia as well (laughs) I wonder (laughs) I wonder how good you are at the trivia we have which is called the high performance baker's dozen this is where I ask you 13 questions the first answer that comes to your mind just hit me with it question number one is your favorite song or band it's just too many in excess love in excess two your favorite movie best friend's wedding Oh, that's such a good movie. Julia. Yeah. <laughs> I love that You're movie You're terrible, too. Love Julia Roberts. Love a good chick yes. flick. Yes. Uh, three, your favourite book? Little Women. Question number four, your favourite possession? My bike. Oh, what bike? What brand? Uh, well, there's a few of them. Okay, N plus one. <laughs> How many bikes do you have? N plus one. N plus the one. the amount? Yeah. So, <laughs> or, or D minus one. It's <laughs> like <laughs> so, uh, anyone who's a non-cyclist is just going, well, what's she on about? Uh, pick, pick one of the bikes. I'm a cyclist. Okay, my mountain bike. Um, it's a Trek Fuel EX 9.9. How much have mountain bikes changed in recent years, like with the, the one big cog on the right-hand side and the seat adjustment up and down? I hadn't ridden a mountain bike for years, and then I actually went to Stromlo Forest. Do you ride at Stromlo? Mm, yeah. Love Stromlo. Love it. And hide this mountain bike. And just, just thinking we're talking a different language. It is such a beautiful experience. MTB or road or both? Both. Yeah, okay. both. So on yeah. the road. I love riding around Canberra. It's a beautiful place to ride on the roads as well. What What's your favourite road bike? Uh, I've got a specialised S-Works and it's called Princess Arcobaleno, which is Italian for rainbow. All my bikes have names. The mountain bike's called the Dirt Goddess. There's another mountain bike that's called Princess Puddles. Yeah, but Seat Pro Stropper, like you, changed my life, swear to God. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. explain to Ange later. She's just going, I have no idea what you crazy cyclists are talking about. Strava, you look back over the last year, what are you averaging a week? How many Ks? Probably eight, nine hours a week. Case depends on whether it's road or or mountain bike. Because you're a serious cyclist, yeah. And if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll explain. <laughs> Question number five. Your favorite. Strava's like Facebook. For no, cyclists. I know. I've seen Strava. <laughs> oh, it's not just Facebook. It's your whole identity. Like you know, you see what your mates are doing. You can smash them. We live through Strava. Are uh, your favorite food? Tomatoes. Question number six. These are more related to well-being and productivity rituals. What time do you wake up and go to bed every day? Usually at the same time every day. So, you know, sort of 
seven-ish in the morning and I'm usually in bed by 9.30, 9, 9.30, 10. Do you have a morning routine? Coffee. She's such a cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> coffee before, coffee during, if it's a long one, coffee after. Come on, Andrew. Question number eight, what does your weekly fitness routine look like other than eight or nine hours on the bike? Do you do any cross-training, any stretching, any resistance? Yeah, I do. Just do a little bit of work with free weights for just strength and weight-bearing type stuff. Do a bit of walking, uh, walk the dog. I was a triathlete back in the day, but I lost a leg of the triathlon for with each child so I'm limited to cycling now um <laughs> good thing you didn't have five kids you'd you wouldn't even get in the car <laughs> no that's right <laughs> who is this woman and she talk about fantasia before fantasia is the ability to see the latin word for the ability to see around mindfulness I let that one slip through talking about sensory adaptation talking about modeling Yerkes Dodson inverted U hypotheses, this heightened awareness around performance skills. So number nine, tell me a go-to productivity tip. Only look at your emails twice a day. Ooh, twice a day. If something's on fire or somebody's dying, someone will ring you. I am so glad a lot of your colleagues are going to listen to this because I know when we said this in the Social Mastery Program and, and I did that story about your email, if you did email like your laundry, you know, you do two socks, put them out, do one pair of undies, put it out. People go, oh, you don't do laundry like that, Andrew. That's stupid. Well, why do you all do email like that? So here you have a very, very senior person saying that they try and do email a couple of times. Thank you for totally challenging that outdated product activity killing behavior where people just do email all day every day question number 10 your most vivid childhood memory getting my first bike i was in hospital i had my tonsils out i was six and it was you know miserable you're in for 10 days and the food was rubbish and on those really really high beds and it was really really scary with you know nurses and people poking you uh, and i remember my dad came and picked me up from the hospital on the day i got out he took me straight to the toy shop and we got my first bike. What was the name of that bike? Oh, that one actually, I hadn't hadn't started naming my bikes at that stage, but I still remember it was just a little red, sort of ruby red little bike with a basket and the streamers coming off the- Spoky dokies. Yeah, training around the streets of Albury, scaring the neighbors. No, I rode it round and around the clothesline actually. The (laughs) The heels hoist in in the backyard. Question 11, the biggest adversity you've faced and what did that teach you? There's a lot. Um, probably nurse or providing palliative care to my mum and, you know, nursing her over two months um, before she passed, but being able to give that gift back to her was really, really hard uh, physically and emotionally and mentally. But the peace that it brought her rather than her, you know being in a hospital or in a hospice you know in her final months and weeks um, was really yeah it, it taught me that I've got you know strengths and reserves that I you know perhaps don't appreciate but they're there when you need them and you can draw on them beautiful story uh, apart from that example question number 12 what achievements are you most proud of? I think my kids, if we can cl- classify them as an achievement. I've got two gorgeous kids uh, who I'm really proud of um, and they're happy and they're healthy uh, and they're you know, 
it's the right amount of cheeky (laughs) (laughs) and we're a really close and loving family so yeah I think I think that's something that I'm really proud of yeah do you have a pack when you cycle is it the family pack do they do they ride with you my hubby and I have a bunch that we ride with and our son um, Ben is just starting to get into mountain biking so the three of us are, are really into it my daughter less so but yes yes there is a there is a tribe you know you know what um cycling bunches are like and uh, everyone's got the same kit and gets together and does rides and there's a pecking order you know there's an alpha or a trail master in the bunch and everyone has a role it's like <laughs> a whole other culture when i'm in canberra on an upcoming trip i'm going to yell out and i want to come and join your pack easy no worries at all yeah depends what the coffee. alpha says <laughs> Yeah, I have to. I won't be the alpha for my pack. I'm my sorry. husband's my husband's the alpha. It's fine. I've got it covered. Oh, yeah. well, he's, he's not got the an alpha. N. We know who the real alpha is. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he is. Uh, final question number thirteen. What is your definition of high performance? Don't know really. You know, there's a number. There's many, many dimensions to it. Many dimensions to it. It's doing something that you love. Um, you know that that fulfills you and and you're good at it um, and it has a positive impact on you and it has a positive impact on those that you're serving yeah I I don't it's it's really difficult concept to um, distill down to just a couple of sentences I guess and it's you know will have a its own meaning for everyone else I think what's that saying Uh, success by your own definition or if it's your own definition you have agency if it's your own definition you can judge if it's someone else's it's always extrinsic external and you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment because you're trying to do it for other people yeah what you said (laughs) (laughs) i'll have that (laughs) i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast me too i I love all podcasts i don't think i've ever finished a podcast saying i really haven't enjoyed this (laughs) podcast oh you just don't tell (laughs) i've enjoyed the depth today with you i've enjoyed the the thought you've put into it and there's a just right amount of cheeky as well seeing your personality come through your colleagues other people listening to this it's going to be a master class in doing reps and sets and then putting them into your environment over a period of time so I'm, i'm really grateful that you've shared with us not only what you've done behind the scenes but you've brought the real you to this session today as well yeah, thanks, Stacey. I really enjoyed it as well. You bring so much depth. The calmness in your energy filters through onto the screen. So I'm going to go out and, you know, pay attention to my surroundings and have that sensory grounding. And all thanks to you. So I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. And, um, you know, from my perspective, I really enjoyed the the journey with you folks through the um, the MAS program, Social Mastery. And, um, you know, so personally for me, thank you very much. And um, on on the part of Defence as well, it's been, um, it's been a wonderful initiative that so many people have benefited from. So it's been great working with you. <laughs>